You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Kings 18, if you recall the story, as we get to this text, we used this last week, but if you recall that Israel um, was not right with their God, they had apostatized. They had turned their backs. They were underneath the wrath of Almighty God. They were on the wrong side. They were worshiping and serving a false God and not the true God. And they had no right to come into the presence of God without a sacrifice, without it being accepted. And so Elijah prayed. If you recall, he prayed for fire. The fire came down. We'll talk about that in a moment. The sacrifice was accepted, and the way was open. And now we find in our text, 1 Kings 18, 41, Through the end of this chapter, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, that he said, Behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up. Say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind. There was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. We're talking about prayer. This is the second part from last week. And I found this quote interesting. This is from John Piper. He says, God's appointed means of bringing grace to us and glory to himself is prayer. Prayer is God's appointed means of bringing grace to ourselves, grace to us, and glory to himself. We said last week that it starts with the person of Jesus Christ. Again, Israel had no right to go into God's presence. And so Elijah comes, he repairs the sacrifice, and he makes the sacrifice on the altar. The sacrifice was made. The sacrifice was accepted. How do we know it was accepted? Because the fire fell, and it consumed everything. The sacrifice The altar, the dust, the rocks, the stone. I imagine when it was left, there was just a big black spot there and everything else was gone. And when this took place, when the sacrifice was accepted, it opened the way for Israel to be reconciled to their God, to come back to the God that they had abandoned. They had walked away. They left. God had not changed. They changed. And so we see that through sacrifice we have access to God. This is all throughout Scripture. We mentioned last week that we see this in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ offered himself. Listen, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus Christ made the sacrifice. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was accepted. How do we know? I mean, it's not like Elijah where the fire falls and everything's consumed. How do we know that this sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, that we say opens up the doors for us to boldly come into the throne of God, to rush in to the God of creation, how do we know the sacrifice was accepted? Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And, speaking of Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that the sacrifice of Christ for your sin and my sin was accepted on Calvary. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And that was God's stamp of approval on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why this morning, before we even begin, we can come into the presence of God because what, has, what Christ has done in his person, his work, his life, his death, and resurrection. And, by the way, this resurrection of Jesus Christ, the proof of this accepted sacrifice, is also the reason that we know today there is coming a time when every man and woman will be judged by the God of heaven. Listen again to scripture, Acts 17, 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. And so listen to me this morning as we talk about prayer again. Understand that the only reason you and I can ever come into the presence of God is because what Jesus Christ did for us. He died in our place and his sacrifice was accepted. We see by the, re- the, the resurrection, and it reminds us that there's coming a day of judgment. My friend, listen to me this morning about this church. We begin with Christ, and we end with Christ. We have nothing to give you. Okay, You're not going to come here and find the greatest speakers. That's not going to happen. You're not going to find the greatest musicians in the world. That's not going to happen. You will not find the greatest entertainers or the greatest drama. Now we have drama queens, but I don't think that counts. But what you will find is Jesus Christ being exalted and lifted high. Because, my friend, it's all about him. There is nothing else. And all we have to offer this morning is all that you will ever need. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've been through. The the truth is that Christ is the answer this morning. And because of his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, you can know him. You can be reconciled back to him. There is no other place to go. Remember the story of the disciples? Jesus was teaching some hard things in John chapter 6. I mean, really hard. And the Pharisees are debating with him, and and, and you think he'd back off, but he doesn't back off. He he continues to push the envelope. And finally, scores of people leave. They say, this is too hard for us. We're done with this. And Christ is sitting there watching his disciples just melt away. And he turns to the twelve and says, are you going to leave too? And this great statement that we should hold on to. They say, Lord... Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Where are we going? There's no place to go. And so this morning, understand this. As we start the service, as we again delve into prayer, you need to understand that the only thing that matters, the only thing we have, the only thing we can offer is the only thing you need, and it is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who died for your sins, was buried, rose again, and reigns in heaven today, and will come back to rule and reign and to judge this world and to make all things right. And you need to know something this morning. As the fire fell for Elijah, someday the fire will fall again. And only those who are safe in the blood of Christ will be safe. It's all about Christ. And so we start this morning understanding that the reason we can even come in prayer is because of the person of Jesus Christ. We talked last week about Elijah's prayer. Let me just quickly review. And the truth is, pay attention now, there's only one point this morning. Just one point. Now, it's going to last for a couple hours, but there's one point. We reviewed last week, we said that that Elijah prayed for the praise of God. Christ opens the way, we walk into the throne room, and the first thing we find for Elijah was he was praying that God's people would know him, that he would be revealed. This is found throughout all scripture. Isaiah claims in 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And again, our prayer ought to be, God, Make yourself known. It's all about you. You are the only hope. You are the only answer. Please be glorified, and not only be glorified, but then be glorified in us. That the lives we now as believers, and we know, hey, they're not perfect. We fall, we stumble, we make mistakes. But our goal should be that as I live this life, my goodness, if there is any, my kindness, my love, my family, my marriage, My helping my neighbor, crying with the sick, sitting with those who are dying. It should all be good works that glorify our Father in heaven. And people see that and see him. And so Elijah prays for the praise of God's people. Number three, we said last week that he prays for the people of God. He prays for the great needs of God's people. And then he goes deeper. And we should go deeper. We got lots of sick folks. We have lots of trouble. And the prayer list doesn't even scratch the surface. This is the world we live in, and we ought to pray. But don't stop there, because there are other needs that we don't see right away, but are far more important. We should be praying for our people that there be spiritual growth in their life, that their eyes would be opened by the Spirit of God, that they would mature in their faith, that their confidence in Christ would grow, that their hope of Jesus would be strong. These are the things we ought to pray. And then finally from last week, he prayed in perseverance. We are not to faint or fail in despair. He says, go look. Is there anything out there? And the guy comes back and says, nothing. I see nothing. Go again. Nothing. Go again. Nothing. Go again. Nothing. Six times. Nothing. And finally the servant says, hey, you know, I did see a little cloud out there. It looks like the size of a man's hand. Elijah says, go. Rain's coming. Curse of fear. Don't quit. Go back again and again and again. Go back for the lost and pray. Go back for the prodigal and pray. Go back for your struggle and pray. And now the point for this morning. Um, number five, I want you to see that Elijah prays 
within the promises of God. Look back at our text at 1 Kings chapter 18 and look at verse number 1, if you would. Now pay attention. I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. Don't be nervous. It is somewhat complicated, but I believe you can handle it. 18.1 says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord, right? So who's speaking now is the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself on Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Okay? So look at the verse. The Lord is speaking. He says, I'm going to send rain on the earth. Now let me ask you a question, and then think with me. It's very difficult. What do you think the Lord meant when he said, I'm going to send rain on the earth? Very good. Wasn't that hard? All right. That wasn't that complicated. I know you're a little nervous. Many of you knew the answer but wouldn't say the answer. What he means is, I'm going to send rain. Elijah, I'm telling you now, go tell Ahab, rain is coming. Now I want you to see what Elijah does. Because God has just promised through his word, this is coming. Look at verse 42 of our text. So Ahab, he goes and tells Elijah, or Elijah tells Ahab it's going to rain. Uh, so Ahab goes and grabs a burger. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he prays. Now, if God just promised rain, why in the world would Elijah even bother? We might naturally think, well, God said it, and so it negates the necessity to even pray about this because God already said this would happen. And sometimes we might think like that. But that wasn't the case for Elijah. The truth is, as Elijah hears the promise of God, it does not negate his prayer. It motivates his prayer. He goes now praying the promise of God. God wills to send rain. God wills to bless his people. And God wills that his will come to pass by Elijah praying for rain. It's an amazing thing. Let me take a little side note here, and I want you to know this. That God, our God, wills to bless his people. And some of you are thinking, that's great. I've been waiting for this message. Because if God wills to bless his people like Elijah, I'm calling fire down. Right? Because that's what the apostles thought. Remember the story in Luke? Show us something spectacular. And so the Samaritans had just rejected Christ. And the apostles are there, and James and John say, Lord, excuse me, but do you want us to call fire down and destroy them like Elijah? <laughs> like you could in the first place? And Jesus says, ah, you don't know the spirit that you have. You don't understand this. We want to see something spectacular. We want the fire to fall. And yes, God still wants to bless his people by seeing the fire fall. But may I submit to you this morning that it's not just grabbing your wallet and naming it and claiming and say, wallet be filled. I claim this in the name of the Lord. Fire fall. Or to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and to follow the prosperity gospel. There might be something greater and more spectacular than that. Let me help you. The conversion of a soul. that men and women who are dead in trespasses and sin, who are rebels against the God of heaven, could have their eyes opened and see the glorious beauty of Christ and repent and believe. You want to talk about spectacular? That, my friend, is spectacular. 
It's called new birth. How about this? The power of the word of God. That when this word is open, it is not archaic. It is not, oh, it's not even relevant. It doesn't matter. This book written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents is so concise and put together, it answers the problems of our life. And this word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of thunder as soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It knows us. And when nothing else can give us hope or peace, this is the word that comes to us and it fills us. I want to tell you, my brother, sister, that is spectacular. How about the healing of the brokenhearted? Ever had a broken heart? There's a bomb in Gilead. And that healing comes through the power of the fire of God. Deliverance to the captives, those who are bound in sin and their struggle over and over again, that the fire falls and there's deliverance from the God of heaven, that he takes, he makes beauty for ashes, the messes of our life. And there could be testimony after testimony in this room of men and women who say, my life was a mess, my life was wrecked. We had a couple stop by yesterday in our home. He used to come here years ago. A matter of fact, the first time he came here, he loved the service, wanted to be baptized. The next week he was baptized. I didn't see him for years after that. Do you remember that? Now he's doing great with his wife and his child. And he said, if, my, if I could give a testimony, it would be this. My life was ruined. My life was wrecked. I had nothing. And then Jesus came. It's a beautiful thing. He takes the ashes of our life and brings us beauty. Beauty. He, he takes the, the, I can't even read my own writing now. Isn't that terrible? The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He changes lives. He changes marriages. He restores us. It's spectacular. And God wants to bless his people by fire. It's spectacular. But sometimes he blesses his people by food. And maybe not so spectacular. But listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, and your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. I think sometimes we fail to realize that not the fire, but the food, not the spectacular, but the common is really good. And we take it for granted. Let me give you an example of this. Like the fact that we're not living outside and we have homes is a good thing. How many campers this morning? You love camping. You are a camper. You love it. Okay, good. We're, the numbers are dwindling away of five now, which is really good. All right? No one else will admit it. Um, I was listening to that comedian, I think it's Jim Gaffigan or something like that. He was talking about camping. And he said, my wife's a camper. He's in Dorsey. And he said, um, the truth is, my wife says to me, well, camping's a tradition in my family. And he said, yes, it was a tradition in everyone's family before we came up with houses. <laughs> right? And he goes on and on. And it's, it's, it's hilarious, but it's a reminder to us. And he says, you know, guys come up to him and say, hey, would you like to burn, you know, a whole week of vacation days by sleeping outdoors on the ground? No. Not interested in that. And then he goes, I think he says something like, if, if, Outdoors is so great. Why are the bugs always trying to get back into my house? Right? <laughs> if it's great out there. 
right? You know how that goes. And, and we take, and I know, hey, God bless you, campers, God bless you. I, I'm, that's good, whatever, whatever you like. But we have homes. There's a book called um, The Good Old Days Are Not That, we're not, Oh, The Good Old Days Were Terrible. And he talks about the 1800s uh, in the Midwest in the prairies. That this was before the time of screens. And so in the 1800s, during the day, you'd open your windows. And you know what would come into your house? Every bug imaginable to mankind. Black flies, mosquitoes, they would just infiltrate your home. Nothing you could do. In your hair, in your bedding, in your pillows, in your milk, in your soup. Bugs everywhere. Everywhere. And then you go to bed at night. And if it was sweltering heat and you want to keep your windows open, you know what happened again? Bugs everywhere. And you'd be laying down and falling asleep. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but when that happens for me, I put all the lights in the house on. We get out of bed. We're going to find that sucker and kill it before it sucks my blood. I cannot sleep. I will not sleep. It's wrong. But could you imagine? That was their life. It was their life. No screens. We take screens for granted today. This is what he said. He said, window screens, the most humane contribution the 19th century made to the preservation of sanity and good temper. (laughs) We don't think about it. We have screens. God wills to bless his people. And I have to tell you, sometimes it's through fire and it's spectacular. And other times it's through food. And we think it's routine. But that too is spectacular. God's will is certain, but he delights to do his will in answer to the prayers of his people. The prayer of the saints constitutes the appointed channel by which God works his will. Not always. God can do whatever he wants to do, but more often than not, God's will is accomplished through the prayers of his people. And don't miss the connection here, because it's associated and connected to his word. When Elijah hears the promise of God, what he does then is he prays the word of God. It does not negate his prayers. It motivates his prayers. And I have to tell you, we see this throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture. Let me give you an example of this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 9. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. He's looking into the future. This has not happened yet. But as sure as Christ rose from the dead, it will happen. And here's what he says. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a promise. This will happen. My friend, there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will come back and he will rule and reign on this planet and the earth will be full of his knowledge. This will happen. It's a promise of God. You can't get around it. It will come to fruition. Now notice how Jesus tells his disciples to pray. You know this prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. Now, you, God's people, pray God's will. He declares his will, and then he says, now I'm going to move my people to pray for that. God's promises instruct us on what we, t- we are to ask and ask believing. You get that? Don't lose it here. 
I promise you, this truth will change the way that we pray. The word of God, the promises of God, the will of God, God's people need to be praying those things. Praying, believing, because he said it, and it's true, and it will happen. Okay, so for me, and I'm just confessing now, there are times when I pray, and after I'm done praying, I thought, that was the lamest prayer I've ever prayed. I mean, lame. So here's my lame prayer. God, bless them. Now listen, I want God to bless people. That was the extent of it. God, bless them. Bless her. Bless him. And if I'm really feeling spiritual, God, bless the whole world. Right? What does that mean? Honestly, what in the world does that mean? There's a better way to pray. Like, oh, God, bless them by opening their eyes to truth. God, bless them to know the hope of their calling in Christ. God, bless them to understand their inheritance, that what Christ has is theirs. God, give them comfort in the midst of this because you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. Oh, God, heal that broken heart because you've come to do that for us. Oh, God, heal them because by your stripes we have been healed. Do you see the difference there? And so for God's people this morning, let's sort of grow up a bit and take the example of Elijah. When he hears the promise of God, he doesn't stop praying. He starts praying. And when he starts praying, he is praying God's promises. We must know the word of God. Do you know it? Do you know any of his promises? We should... We should learn the promises of the word of God and then turn them into prayers and it will change us. And so my brother and sister, listen to me. The last two weeks talking about prayer. We come because of the person of Jesus Christ. We can boldly come and rush into his presence because of his sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. We come in prayer to praise him for his glory. We pray for the people of God. We persevere in our prayers and then we take the promises of God and we turn them into prayers asking and believing. Does that make sense? No. It doesn't make sense? Okay. Does that make sense at all? Or or really, you say, I have no idea what you just said. Okay. We're in trouble. Okay? Okay. We take the word of God, and we pray the word of God, believing he will answer our prayers. Does that make sense? Okay. You're you're going to say no anyways now at this point, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I got it all. If you have questions, ask me. Now, let's bring this thing to a close because I think most of you are, your minds must already be fried. Let's look at this chapter as it ends. There are bookends here of this chapter, and I find it very interesting. Look at verse number one again, and, and look at the three characters that we find listed in verse number one. The word of the Lord, Elijah, Ahab. Look at the last verse in this chapter. And guess who we find? The Lord, Ahab, and Elijah. And then we have this crazy story that doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay, so Elijah says, go, it's going to rain, take off, go in your chariot, floor it, drive furiously, go through the red lights, just get home. And Elijah then is empowered by the Spirit of God. He puts his robe into his belt, and he runs for 17 miles in front of Ahab. And the story ends. It's like, oh, that was strange. I wonder why he did that. Oh, well, chapter 19. Don't do that. 
don't do that. There's a reason why that story's there. And there's a reason why this is bookend and it like it is. Okay? Who are we talking? Ahab. Good guy, bad guy. Bad. The worst. I mean, he is the worst. He is terrible. Terrible. His wife is worse, Jezebel. But he's bad. Turns a nation away from God. Right? But he has just witnessed this contest on Mount Carmel. And the contest was to Israel, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to limp and not make up your mind? If God is God, follow him, and if not, follow Baal. It's real simple. And they don't give an answer. It's like the question I just asked a few minutes ago. No one gave an answer. It was crickets there. Crickets. And so he says, okay, let's have a contest. The one who answers by fire, let him be God. It's like, okay, that's a good idea. Ahab, the most wicked man in Israel, just watches this contest. He sees the reality of God and now the blessings of God. Now he's heading home. And as he, the king, is heading home, the prophet of God is running in front of him. The prophet of God is the word of God. There's no way around it. God uses his prophets in the Old Testament to speak his word. And here we now have a picture of what Ahab has seen, the reality of God, and now a decision to make. Because the word of God is leading him all the way home. 17 miles, the word of God is showing the pathway. I'm telling you, there's something here. And now Ahab has a decision. Ahab, now the word of God is before you. Uh, It's not an adversarial relationship. Elijah is running before Ahab. He's going back to Jezreel. Ahab, how long halt you between two opinions? Ahab, it's time for you to make up your mind. Ahab, the most wicked man in Israel, God's grace is now extended to him, and he says, okay, what are you going to do? Will you continue to follow the word of God or not? You know what happens? Here's Elijah running 17 miles. He gets to the gates of the city. (sighs) Ahab goes by in the chariot, back to the palace, and up to the devil's bedroom. And he makes the wrong decision. And what could have been a national revival now turns into a nightmare. How long halt you between two opinions? The word of God has gone before you. The truth is in front of you. Ahab, God's grace has been extended. What will you do with it? May I be so bold to say this morning that God's grace has been extended to you. And how long will you halt between two opinions? My dear friend, how long will you vacillate on salvation? If God is God, if Jesus Christ died, if he was buried, if he rose again, how long are you going to vacillate between trusting him and rejecting him? Grace has been shown. The word of God is clear. You must make a decision. My dear brother and sister in Christ, how long will we halt between two opinions? If Christ is our Lord, 
Should we not be living for Him? And not try to play both sides of the world here? I do my Sunday thing, and then I do my Monday thing. You know the story of the Civil War. The guy couldn't make up his mind between the Union and the Confederacy. He wore a Union top, Confederate pants, shot twice. Shot twice. It's not supposed to be that way. How long halt you between two opinions? And there comes a time for all of us that God's grace has been extended. It's been offered to us. The word of God is clear. It is running before us. The pathway is known. And what are you going to do? Listen to me. To do nothing is to make a decision. Do you understand that? To do nothing is to make a decision. How long are we going to be half-hearted? How long are we going to do our own thing? How long are we going to play games with our Christianity? How long? I pray this morning that in our personal lives, we will follow the word of God, not only in our prayers, but in our practice. In our practice. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.